0: Old Testament book of Hosea is a powerful testimony to the covenant loyalty and the steadfast love of the God of heaven for his people. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and locate the fifth chapter of the Old Testament book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 5, we'll find our scripture text for this morning. And again, it is so good to be here. Thank you, Brother Brian. Just so good to see you. Let me take just a moment while you're finding your place in this marvelous fifth chapter of the book of Hosea to say how thrilled I am to be here. Dr. Barton, thank you for uh, the opportunity to come and I'm so glad to be here and so good to see so many of you this morning and all the good singing and the fellowship, the good preaching friends that we have and so glad to be together. I just want to say how much I appreciate uh, the vision that God's given to Dr. Randy Barton. I appreciate so much uh, his uh, Expertise. I admire how he exercises the spiritual gift of administration among the other gifts that God has given to him. And, preacher, we are behind you 100%. And thank God for the opportunity to be in partnership with you. I'm so glad to see some of our folk from Midway. God bless you. So glad you're here. I'm honored that you're here. God bless you. And we thank God for your presence. And again, it's good to see you. The Midway people. I'm the best church on the earth. Hey, man, I'm telling you. love them and appreciate them. They're a blessing. And we thank the Lord for them. Uh, You pray for me. Uh, Whitey Johnson gives me a real rough time. So pray for me if you would. I'd appreciate that. The book of Hosea chapter 5. Look down with me, please, in verse number 15. We're going to draw up on this verse this morning and a thought that, God seems to have pressed on my heart, and I pray that the Spirit of God will help us this morning. Hosea chapter 5, look down in verse 15. When you found your place, let's stand just for a moment in honor and respect for the reading of God's Word. Hosea chapter 5, look at the 15th verse. Follow along with me as I read. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. I'm captivated by that first statement by the God of heaven. I will go and return to my place. I want to preach on what might sound like in this congregation an odd subject. But I want to preach on when God goes away. Would you pray for me and pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we're so glad to be together this morning, assembled together just like this. The music's been so wonderful, Lord. The preaching and music all week long has just been outstanding. Our Father, we give you the glory, the praise, and the honor for it all. And Father, we thank you for this wonderful share the highlight of every year. Father, we thank you for it. And now, Lord, we pray that you'll continue to work in, Lord, the rest of the meetings. Lord, we pray as we move into this weekend we pray the Spirit of God would indeed anoint and bless and place His power upon everything that continues to be done. All the hard work that's been put together to make this time together possible, thank you for it. And now, dear Father, I simply would say, I would admit, I would acknowledge before your people and before you this morning my total inadequacy, my insufficiency, my inability oh, God, I pray today I'd take my hands off this service. I certainly would take my hands off of the glory of God. Oh, Lord, deliver me. May I never, never be guilty of touching the glory and trying to claim something for myself that only the Spirit of God can do. And Lord, we'll thank you and we'll bless you for all you do. In these next few moments, Lord, please, I pray you'll help me to preach the way I will wish I had have preached when I stand before the Lord Jesus at the Bema seat. Help me, I pray. Let me make the way plain, and Father, we'll thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. When I speak about God going away, a wide range of responses are evoked. There are those who view the words that I've just read in your hearing as referring to God leaving his people, casting them off, and abandoning them forever. However, the overall context of the book of Hosea simply will not allow for this. If you've ever studied the book of Hosea, you understand what I mean. God is committed to that wayward nation of Israel. Now, we are presently living in the dispensation of the grace of God. I unashamedly uh, avow myself a dispensationalist. I, I can't read the Bible. I can't believe the Bible. I certainly can't preach and teach the Bible without being a dispensationalist. And presently, we are living in the dispensation of the grace of God. We're living in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, the church age. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, birthed the church into existence as far as I'm concerned, and we are living currently in that dispensation of grace. And over the airwaves, in our pulpits, handing out tracts, we're getting out the gospel message that the pastor spoke of just a little while ago and how people need the gospel. But let me hasten to say that this dispensation is coming to a close. And when the dispensation of God's grace comes to a close, another dispensation will begin known as the day of the Lord. I simply said that to say this at the very outset of our study today. While I'm going to be speaking primarily to God's people, sinner friend, if you're listening to me, if you're under the sound of my voice in this auditorium or by way of the internet, I urge you to get in while you can. We preach a whosoever will gospel, as I've often said, but we do not preach a whensoever gospel. We get in when the Spirit of God convicts and draws us to Christ. We're living in the dispensation of the grace of God, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the church and in each individual believer. Thank God He's with me, but hallelujah, He is within me. Oh, I bless the name of the Lord for that today. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us because he's promised by the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God to be with us all the way to the city of God. Hallelujah. What a promise. Still, we're left with this solemn, this sobering statement recorded by the prophet Hosea which fell from the lips of the sovereign God of heaven, I will go and return to my place. Now, as New Testament Christians, we we champion the attributes of God. We think about His omnipotence. He is all-powerful. We think about His omniscience. He knows everything. We think about His immutability. He does not change. But then there's that blessed attribute of the omnipresence of God. Now the omnipresence of God simply teaches that everywhere at all times is before the Lord. Nothing can be hidden from Him. Nothing can be kept secret from Him. Everywhere is present with the Lord. I ask the question, how can the omnipresent God of glory go away? How can He... Go away. Scripture distinguishes between the indwelling presence, the abiding presence of God and his manifested presence. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to argue semantics here, but there is a difference in the abiding, indwelling presence of God and his manifested presence. God's abiding presence testifies to his faithfulness to his people. But the manifested presence of God testifies of his fullness in his people. It's one thing for God to be in me, but it's another thing for him to reveal himself through me. It's one thing for us to meet together like this and somebody said, well, let's pray the Holy Ghost to come down. Now, I understand the terminology, but friend, we're not praying for another Pentecost any more than we're praying for another Calvary. He's with me, and I say this with, with, with all, I, he came with me. When I woke up this morning, he was inside of me. I didn't get down by my chair and pray now, oh God, give me another Pentecost and come into my... He was already there. When you came in this building this morning, thank God he came with you. His indwelling presence. But isn't it wonderful when he shows up? If I could say it. Isn't it wonderful when he manifests himself? I'll tell you, friend, if you want to know what's killing us in our country today... It's, it's, it's the deadness that has crept into our services. Now, now just, just don't cut me off. I, I'm not, I don't believe in. I don't want to accelerate the flesh. I don't want to work up something. Uh, I, I, Brother Jimmy Robbins down at Calvin said, God, have mercy. We better stir up something. Better work up something. Well, I want to say to you, friend, we, we're not trying to work up anything. But I'm telling you, if we've ever needed the manifested power of God in our churches, it's in this day and hour we're living in. There's a difference in His abiding presence and His manifested presence. The word manifest, according to Mr. Webster, means to make evident or certain by showing or displaying. God will display His power. God will manifest His power in our worship, in our witness, and in our walk with the Lord. He'll manifest. His presence. He'll let His presence be known, enjoyed and experienced. You see, when God saved you, He didn't save you to make you miserable. Sa- salvation's not supposed to be endured, it's supposed to be enjoyed. And don't misunderstand me, friend. I understand when the storm... You better know. I understand sometimes the storm clouds hang low. I understand sometimes it'll rain and when it it rains, it pours. But I submit to you that the unchanging God has said, sunshine or rain, cloud or clear sky, good times or bad, I'll be with you to live within you and if you'll yield to me, I'll manifest myself to (laughs) You know, I hear people, I hear brothers criticize Philip for saying to Jesus, "Show us the Father," and it it suffices us. You know, and I understand Jesus did say to him in somewhat sharp way. He said, "Philip, have been so long time with you, and have you not known me? He that's seen me, has seen the Father." But don't, don't, don't be too hard on Philip. I want to see the Father manifested. I want to see God move in a... I want to see Him move there at Midway. I want to see Him move here at Anchor and in our sister churches. I want to see... And we're hearing of some moving of God. I'm simply trying to say that there is a difference between God's abiding presence and His manifested presence. Now, plug in with me here lest you misunderstand what I'm about to say. In God's manifest... or His abiding presence... That abiding presence is unconditional. He lives in me. He doesn't stay in me if I'm good and leave me when I'm bad. He abides with me forever. It's unconditional. Now listen to me. His manifested presence is conditional. Did you hear what I said? Now, don't go out of here and say, well, the preacher said that if I don't, if I don't do right, if I don't live right, quote, unquote, uh, then he's going to leave me. I didn't say that at all. I'm simply telling you that if I don't live right like I ought to live, I can forget knowing the manifested presence of Almighty God. How can the omniscient, or I should say the omnipresent God of glory go away? By simply removing his manifested power and blessing. We can have all the gold in Fort Knox at our disposal and yet be spiritual paupers. We can have all the education and all the philosophy and all the secular learning of this world and yet be spiritually ignorant. But ladies and gentlemen, we can have all the programs and personalities of men and yet be divested of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I want to say this as kindly as I know how. We're dead in the water without the power of the Spirit of God. And we've let, we, we've let some, I, I want to say in some instances, well-meaning people scare us to death of the Holy Spirit. He's the best friend we got on earth, brother. Hey, he's the best friend we've got on this earth, friend. Never will leave us nor forsake us, comforts us strengthens us, makes the things of the Lord Jesus real to, to us, opens this Bible to our understanding, and he's the one that's going to keep us safe until we set foot inside the city of God. And oh, how we need the Holy Spirit of God. Do I really, do I really want the power of God in my life, my ministry, in my church? Do I really want Let me ask you, do you really want the power of God in your life, your ministry, and your church? The God of heaven says, I'll go away. He will remove his manifested presence. How can he leave? How can he go away? By simply withdrawing his manifested power and blessing. Second question I ask, and boy, this is important. Why? Why would the holy God of heaven say to his people, I will go and return to my place? I'll go away. Why would he say that? And could I just, could I just mention this in passing in case I should be speaking to a preacher or a church that, well, really, you, you've got your programs and your personalities. You're like the church at Laodicea. You've got it all. You're so, you're so well equipped, you don't even need God. I want to say to you this morning, sir, I want to say to you this morning, ma'am, church, you need the power of God, whether you realize it or not. You need the power of God. I need the power of God. We're living in too wicked a world. Now, that's another subject in and of itself. But why would the omnipotent, the omniscient, the omnipresent, immutable God of heaven, why would he go and return to his place? If you look back up in the first 13 verses of this fifth chapter of the book of Hosea, you're going to discover several indictments by the God of heaven of his own people. Time will not permit me. Uh, Dr. Oliver Green, I was listening to him the other day. He said, I believe when we get to heaven, he said, I think, I'm gonna, I think God will line all these preachers up and down the river of life and just let us preach for a thousand years apiece and just get it out of our system. Amen. I don't have the time this morning to develop these, but could I just very briefly mention and point out why the God of heaven said I'll withdraw my blessing? I'll go away. First of all, he would go away because there were stumbling blocks among his people. Look at verse number 1, Hosea chapter 5 verse 1. Notice God's references to a snare and a net. Do you see it there in verse 1? That's noteworthy. Two devices that obviously are designed to trip up and trap a hunter's prey. Now, it's interesting that in this context, the priests in Israel were being characterized and portrayed in such a way. The term stumbling block is only found 12 times in our King James Bible. Seven times in the Old Testament, five times in the New. But both Hebrew and Greek words, translated stumbling block, denote that which causes one to fall or trip up. It includes the sense of weakening or causing one to lose strength. The priest's lack of holiness caused others to stumble. The priest, of all the people in Israel that should have been holy, it should have been the priest's. And yet, they were stumbling blocks. And the priest's lack of holiness caused those others to stumble. They were not walking in paths of purity of life. They were not following God as they should. And that caused others in Israel to stumble and neglect holy living. I can almost hear that Israelite man say, Well, why should I live holy? Why should I live right? The priests don't even live right. They're not even living holy. Go back and study the the background for the book of Hosea. I'm simply trying to say that my daily life is saying something to those around me about Christianity. And we talk a lot of times about how we need to live right in front of sinners, but I need to live right in front of the saints. Now it's one thing to be a stumbling block to a sinner. How terrible. But it's another thing to be a stumbling block to a saint. And I'm afraid that the fault lies many times right at my feet, at the preacher's feet. You see, if I don't show and evidence the reality of God's presence, his power, his anointing, his power to sanctify and make me holy, if I don't evidence that, somebody's gonna say, well, well, the preacher's not even living right. Why should I live right? I'm simply trying to say, it does matter how I live before others. I'm saying to you this morning, he would go away because there there were stumbling blocks in the midst of his people. There's a second reason, if you look at verses two through four, the omnipresent God of glory would go away because of the sensual idolatry in his people. Not only the stumbling blocks, but the sensual idolatry in verses two through four. In verse two, do you notice that infinity phrase, to make slaughter? That Phrase simply means that in Hosea's day life was cheap. In Hosea's day there were actually infant sacrifices being conducted. In the valley of Hinnom just south of Jerusalem, the valley of Tophet as some people call it, the pagan god Molech otherwise known as Chemosh was set up in that valley. Uh, A a terrible, a gruesome, a very wicked looking uh, Supposed deity was this Chemosh or Molech And many times you'll find in the Bible God referring to or the prophets referring to Somebody making their children pass through the fire to Molech That was a huge statue It was made out of stone, carved out of stone It had a gaping maw like a big bird's beak And it was open And The hands and the arms of Molech were extended upward. And the body, the frame was hollow. The priests would build a, a fire inside of Molech. And they would heat that image until it was ashen hot. And then, get this. While the priests of Israel beat drums... Families, mothers and dads would bring their little babies and lay them on the open, ashen, hot arms of Molech and those little babies would tumble down into that gaping mall, into the fire and perish, passing through the fire to Molech while the priests were beating the drums to drown out the cries of those infant children. Oh, we say how terrible, how wicked it is to put little children to death. But listen to me, friend, how many little children have been put to death in their mother's womb? since 1973 and and could I just say something here real quick preacher I'll make it quick I'm still rejoicing over the Supreme Court hey I'm still rejoicing over the Supreme Court ruling right about Roe versus Wade but if you and I think this deaf crowd is going to lay down and take that like nothing they're going to accept we're naive at best there's something. You mark it, friend. Write it down. Search your Bible. Mainly. Secular history will teach it. No culture, no nation that kills its children and euthanizes its senior adults lasts very long. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm, I, we live in the greatest nation on earth. I'm so glad to be an American. I'm not proud of some of the things we do, but I'm glad to be... An American. And could I just simply say this? And I, I, if you don't like America, the boats are sailing and the planes are flying, friend. Why don't you get on that banana boat? Why don't you get on that plane and why don't you fly over there to Beijing? Why don't you fly over there to Tiananmen Square? Why don't you fly downtown Moscow? Why don't you try that for a while? Now, we're not perfect. We're far from it. I'm glad to be an American. But ladies and gentlemen, I will say to you this morning: if we can if this nation continues to place a cheap ideology on human life, the judgment of God is going to hang over it'll fall on this nation as sure as your name is what it is. Now, I wasn't in my outline, but bless God, I'll eat ribs and sleep better tonight. Amen. (laughs) Sensual idolatry. To make slaughter. But notice something else, verses 3 through 4. Do you see the term whoredoms? Obviously, including the thought of immorality. Does that sound familiar? Uh, Brother Billy Kelly said it best. He said, You can't even sell a bag of hog feed anymore without putting some lewd picture on the front of the hog feed bag, he said. Man, we're living in a day and an hour when uh, this thing is geared toward. The lust of the flesh And friend we got to be very careful What goes in the eye gate What goes in the ear gate I've got several young people here this morning Young person you listen My old dad used to say Son you better listen to me I've been here a little longer than you have I say this with all due respect You young people listen to me for a minute I've been here a little longer than you have You'll be real wise to stay pure Till you meet your partner to marriage oh, order. If you're, a, if you're a young girl, you're going to meet a young boy. If you're a young boy, you're going to meet a young girl. Somebody happy now. Come on now. And you'll be wise to stay pure till you meet your partner in the altar. Just want to mention that. But here's the thing that fascinated me. Do you notice here how idolatry led to immorality? Idolatry inevitably always leads to immorality. You see, what I worship ultimately determines how I conduct myself. What I worship determines my morals or my lack of them. And God says, I'll go away because of the sensual idolatry. And when I use the word term idolatry, is there anything in my life more important to me than the God of my salvation? Is there anything in your life more important to you this morning, dear friend, than the God of your salvation? that loved you when you were unlovable, that loved you when you were lost, that loved you and pursued you when you were not looking for him, but then drew you with the cords of love and grace and pointed you to the Lord Jesus who went to the cross of Calvary and in his bloody death on the cross took every wicked thought you've ever thought, every word you've ever spoken, every deed you've ever done, nailed it to his own cross took it into his bloody death to separate us from it forever and got up on the third day and walked out of the tomb to give you a new life. Oh, my soul. Hallelujah. (laughs) What a Savior. He's the only one we ought to worship. There was another reason that God indicted his people. Look at verse number five very quickly. There was self-centeredness and arrogance in his people. Do you notice the word pride in verse 5? That word pride is from an interesting word. It's an old Hebrew word. It's the word ga'on. It is translated swelling three times in the Old Testament. It means to be puffed up because of one's estimate of oneself or one's accomplishments. Uh, A recent uh, sports figure was interviewed after a game and he started his comments by saying... I was awesome. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's even playing this year. I don't know if so much could be said right there. There's only one individual who's awesome, friend. Get it now. There's only one individual who should awe us. It's the living God of heaven. And we need to be sure that we're not proud or arrogant. Charles Haddon Spurgeon founded and operated a Bible college for young preachers. One morning, one of the young men was tapped by Spurgeon to bring the message in chapel. Came time for him to preach, and man, he stuck that chest out, jumped off that pew, and bounded into that pulpit, threw his Bible up up on the stand, threw it open, looked down, and promptly forgot his notes. Man, he stammered and stuttered for the next 10, 15 minutes. Finally, he bowed his head in disgrace and humbly prayed and mumbled a prayer. Slowly and in humiliation, he closed his Bible, walked down the steps slowly with his head bent low, shaking his head, sat out on the pew close to Spurgeon, and in his inimitable way, Mr. Spurgeon leaned over and said, Son, if you had gone up like you came down, you could have come down like you went up. Former Soviet dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote, Pride grows in the human heart like lard on a pig. Better know it, friend. But could I just simply say this? None of us have anything to brag about before God but the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a prayer I prayed, not a sermon I preached, not a good deed I might think I've done. But the only thing I can brag about before God is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my wisdom. He's my righteousness. He's my strength. He's my redemption. He's my sanctification. He's everything that I need, not only for time, but for eternity. And I glory in Him. God doesn't need me. but Oh, how I need Him. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Did you notice what James said? He resisteth the proud. Now, for some of us who tried to play ball when we were in high school, if you ran in the backfield, the backfield coaches taught you that when you were running with the ball and a would-be tackler was honing in on you, you were to use a tactic called the stiff arm. But Stanley mentioned, he remembers, that tackler's about to get a hold of you. You reach your hand out, put it on his helmet, and push him away. That's to stiff arm somebody. Now listen carefully to me. When James says God resisteth the proud, that word resisteth, interesting word. It virtually is saying God pushes you away. Now hear me. If you're saved, you're not disbarred from the family. You're not cast out of the family but that close, intimate, manifested fellowship with him, you won't get it if you're proud. Won't get it if you're arrogant. A little story is told of that old boy and went into the little children's Sunday school class and walked in there and he looked at the class, put his thumbs in his pen and said, why do you young children think they call me a Christian? The little boy in the back spoke up and said, because they don't know you. God would go away God would go away because of the self-centeredness and arrogance of his people there was a fourth indictment look at verse 7 quickly there were simulated professions of faith that were encouraged by his people now when I use the term simulated professions of faith I'm talking about false professions of faith notice if you will in verse 7 the reference here they have begotten strange children do you see that reference there in verse 7 That adjective, strange, suggests that which is not according to God's will or God's way. It's the same adjective used of the fire offered by Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, and God struck both of them dead. It was fire not according to God's will. It was fire not according to God's way. I'm simply trying to say... These strange children referred to those who were outside a genuine covenant relationship with the Lord. Now, I'm not judging anybody. You, you just relax, okay? But I'm afraid that there are many strange children, right. false professions of faith in our churches today. I've got a preacher friend of mine that told me he was preaching a revival meeting in a little country church down in South Carolina years ago. He said at the end of the service, little I think she might have been four or five years old, She came up crying. He said, honey, what's wrong? She said, daddy, I lost my pocketbook. And he said, for the next 30, 45 minutes, we were looking through pews, crawling down, looking under pews, looking everywhere for my little daughter's pocketbook. He said, on one occasion when I was down looking under a pew, he said, no audible voices, no lights flashing, but he said, it seemed to me that the Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, there are a lot more things lost in a Baptist church than a little girl's pocketbook. I simply would appeal to the parable of the sower. So much could be said there. But false professions of faith were being encouraged by the people of Israel. Now, how can false, how can strange children be produced today? They're produced today by preaching a man centered gospel instead of a Christ centered gospel. We get in the pulpit, friend. We're not. Disp- it's not a, hey, it's not about me. God have mercy. It's not about you, but it's all about him. Everywhere I look in the book, of the, uh, the book of God, from Genesis to Revelation, I see him, the Lord Jesus, in shadow, type, or fulfillment. I like what one preacher said. The Old Testament says, we're looking for him. And the New Testament points to the shores of Galilee at Jesus of Nazareth and said, We found him. It's all about him. We better preach Christ, crucified, buried, risen again. Why? Paul said in Romans 1:16, help me now. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Incidentally, that word power is from the word dunamis. We have our English derivative dynamite from that word. The gospel is the dynamite of God. Preacher, when you're in the pulpit and you're handling the gospel, you know you're handling dynamite. Do you realize that? The power to blast a sinner out of the kingdom of darkness and put him in, put her in the kingdom of God's dear son. Preach the God. I'm saying that strange children are produced by preaching a man-centered gospel instead of a Christ-centered gospel. Strange children are produced by taking a light view of sin and minimizing its consequences. Boy, we're there. Which the, we're there. We're there. Well, you know, it's not as bad as you're making it, preacher. I mean, don't, you know, don't, don't get hung up here. All I know is I look at the cross of Calvary and I see what my sin did to the Son of God. And it's not pretty. Sin is black. Sin is evil. Sin is wicked. Sin is devastating. And brother, God bless you, Brother Randy. Play and Brother Stenet Blue. He said it best, sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to stay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin, don't minimize it. It'll only produce strange children. And then strange children are produced by pointing sinners to programs and religious exercises instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard Dr. John Phillips the other night preaching on the book of Revelation and I was fascinated how he kept bringing us back to Christ. Kept bringing us back to Christ. We better be pointing people to Jesus Christ. God says, I'll go away because there are simulated professions of faith that are being encouraged. False professions of faith are being encouraged. But then, fifthly, look at verse number 10. He would go away because of the surrender of Christian standards. Now, buckle your seatbelt. If you're going to go ahead and, and accuse me of something, help yourself, it's fine. But you see, beloved... You can't get around it. If you have a King James Bible, and I'd be ashamed if I didn't, but if you've got a King James Bible, you're going to find standards all through the Word of God. I found the other day in 1 Peter, Peter called us a bunch of peculiar people. That's no insult. That's a compliment, friend. We are the peculiar people of God. We're marching to a different drum beat. We're following a different group of standards. And notice in verse 10, do you notice the reference like them that remove the bound? Do you see that word bound? Interesting word, it's the word gebul. It's the Hebrew word that notes a border or a territorial boundary. But moreover, this word gebul translated bound, it suggests limitations. Interesting study was made some time back. I'm surprised they even put this out. It has been several years ago, but they took a, a group of kindergarten children and they took them out into an open field and just turned them loose. But in that open field, those children would look around at each other and look around at the field, and they stayed all, all huddled together. Couldn't get them apart, couldn't get them running from one side to the other. But they took the children in and they erected some portable fence posts, padded fence, put up a, a portable fence, probably a half acre fenced in. Turn those same children loose inside that boundary and those children just went bonkers, had a great time. You know what it was? They had a sense of security. Those boundaries were not keeping them from realizing their potential. Those boundaries spelled security for them. Let me tell you something, friend. I understand and I know you young people listen to me. You've let some of these pointy-headed infidels tell you that standards and convictions, that'll just, that'll just just cramp your style. Have you ever thought for just a moment that the standards and convictions that God's given us might be for our blessing? Yes. I've never been freer than to be within the confines of God's grace, the confines of the Spirit-filled life in my life. I've lost nothing in the hell holes of this world. I've lost nothing in a bar room. I've lost nothing in a house of ill repute. Oh, preacher, I feel so sorry for you. You don't know how to live. You go to church and you sing and preach and pray and you love to be with people that do. I'm guilty. I found my crowd. I found my crowd. And don't you get me wrong Spurgeon said it best He said I'll pray all night With a bona fide sinner But listen to me friend While I pray with them And love them Try to lead them to Christ I can't have fellowship with them Because we're in two different kingdoms friend. And there's a gulf I dare not try to cross You see the people of Israel Were basically being told There's no reason You don't, you don't want get to get too involved in this This will bind you up but the standards and the convictions that God gave his people were intended to help them and free them. And you see the leaders of Israel were telling the people this and they neglected the peoples they rather neglected telling the people the importance of the principles of standards and convictions. I never cease to be amazed what God created in the curation week in Genesis. All kind of little creatures. One of those little creatures was a little lizard called a chameleon. Some of you know what I'm talking about. God endowed that little creature, that little chameleon, with an unusual defense mechanism. That little chameleon's able to change the color of his skin according to whatever environment he is. Now, that's not convergent Darwinian evolution. That's the wisdom of the creator God. One little... Chameleon, Christ, uh, chameleon jumped on a piece of brown cloth, promptly turned brown. Jumped on a piece of green cloth, turned green. Wound up on a piece of plaid and had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> Preacher, what are, you, what are you trying to say? God's not called you to be a chameleon. God's not called you to blend in. He's called you to stand out. Oh, preacher! I'll tell you. Now you're being Pharisaical. Oh, am I? Isn't it interesting that all I know is that time. And you don't have time, but time and time the Bible talks about coming out and being separate unto the Lord and being dedicated. Where'd that go? We used to preach that in our Baptist church, but somehow we've we've come to we've become so everlastingly ecumenical. We've become so concerned with what somebody's going to think. We better tone it down. Now's not the time to tone it down. Now's the time to tune it up, friend. God's people should be different from every person on the face of the earth. Not because we have to, but because from the inside, because of a new nature, we want to. And God said, I'll go away because the standards And the convictions have been moved. They're saying it's not important to live holy lives separated from the world. Could I say just a word to my pastor brethren this morning? Brethren, we dare not lower our Christian standards. We dare not minimize the importance of holy living and separation from the practices of the secular world. Dwight L. Moody was walking down the sidewalk in Chicago joyfully whistling on some old gospel tune. A worldly woman churchman. Could have been man man, he's not. But a woman who was a very worldly church member came up to him and said, Mr. Moody, I'd give the world to have what you have. Moody instantly replied, that's exactly what it cost me, ma'am. God says, I'll, go, I'll withdraw my manifested blessing because you've surrendered your Christian standards. Remove not the ancient landmarks, same word, which thy fathers have set. Proverbs 22, verse eight, 28. But there was a a sixth thing. I'm done with this. Look at verse number 13 quickly. God says, I'll go away because secular resources were sought out by His people. You've not sought me. You've sought secular resources. In verse 13, do you notice the use of the name Ephraim? That name is used in the Old Testament as a synonym for the nation of Israel. Notice how Ephraim saw. The word means to perceive and become aware of. And notice two things. He saw his sickness The word khalil, a Hebrew word, it denotes weakness and loss of strength. He saw his wound. The word mazor, the Hebrew word from a root meaning to be bound. You see, when God's people became aware of the fact they had lost the power of God and they were bound by the inability of their flesh, look what they did. Look at your Bible. Look at verse number 13. They went, or then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and sent to King Jerob. Notice, they didn't turn to the Lord. They turned to the pagan nation, the barbaric nation of Assyria. They appealed to Assyria's king, a king by the name of Jerob. Now, it's interesting. Study words in your Bible, beloved. That name Jerob means contender or competitor. Do you know that the secular world is always competing, always contending, always vying for the Christian's loyalty and devotion? But what a pathetic thing it is when churches lose the manifested power and presence of almighty God they often turn to the methods and gimmicks of a secular world for help instead of turning to the Lord I read in the book of Joshua after the defeated Ai Joshua's on his face what's wrong what's wrong I fancy God saying to him now you need to have a symposium Joshua and try to figure out where you messed Get up. There's sin in the camp. Deal with it, Joshua. I'm simply trying to say to you that we are to look to God for our direction and not a secular world. I don't take my my cues from the secular world. And what a sad thing it is when a church reaches the point they've lost the power of God and they seek secular resources rather than seeking Almighty God. We've looked this morning at what, how can the sovereign God, how can the omniscient, the omnipotent, the omnipresent God of glory go away? Or withdraw His manifested presence. We've looked at six indictments. Why God will go away. I want to close quickly. What will happen if the omnipresent God of glory goes away? Could I give you just a few things? I'm done. The first thing that'll happen, write it down. first thing that'll happen, it's according to this text. The first thing that'll happen, there will be displays of the flesh. There will be displays of the flesh. We'll be left to ourselves, sub- subjected to man-made programs and the personalities of men. Listen to me, friend. It's no small thing for God Almighty to remove His power and blessing from a church right. and in an individual believer and that believer's life. We, wouldn't, we could go outside and get in our automobile. We wouldn't have to drive far to we'd come to a church that at one time was on fire for God. Right. One time was a soul winning church. One time was a gospel preaching church. One time the pulpit was so on fire for God, but not anymore. They've lost the power of Almighty God. Natural, now now pray for me preacher. Natural talent has largely replaced the exercise of spiritual gifts. And don't you read anything into that I didn't say. Natural talent is not necessarily the power of God. But spiritual giftedness is always backed by the power of God. But the Billy Kelly said in one of the group camp meetings, he said that a man asked if he could sing a song, and he got up, good country man, started to sing, hadn't got into the first verse, both sets of false teeth flopped out on the pulpit. Picked them up, put them in, hit that second verse. Hadn't got through the second verse, fell out Again reached and got him, stuck him in his pocket and gummed the rest of the song. Why, what, are, what are you trying to say, preacher? I'm simply trying to say I'd rather hear somebody filled with the Holy Spirit exercising their spiritual gift than somebody that doesn't know the Lord and have all the natural talent in the world. I know that's playing close to the tater but friend, it, it, it's getting desperate, friend. It's getting late, and we better find out exactly where we stand. There'll be displays of the flesh, I, I must confess something to you. My favorite hymnal is the Burgundy Church Hymnal. It's a Church of God hymnal. I confess it. I love those churches. I don't agree with them, but I love them. They're my friend. I've got pastor friends. But in that church hymnal, I was thumbing through it the other day. I found a, a song. You know what it was entitled? The Anointing Makes the Difference. That's I, I just hung on that for a little while. read that thing. That's exactly right. It's the anointing that makes the difference. It's not my three-point outlines and little cute poems. It's the anointing of the Spirit of God that makes the difference. And if we don't come back to being anointed with the Spirit of God, we're in trouble. There'll be displays of the flesh. Joseph Stalin was asked why communism had such a success in Europe. And this is what Joseph Stalin said. I marched through the throne rooms of Europe and found nobody on the throne. Now listen to me. Listen to me, brother and sister in Christ. In our churches, somebody's got to be on the throne and it's not you and me. There's one to be on the throne. The same one John saw in the book of Revelation and a rainbow around. He said, dear Lord, help us. There'll be displays of the flesh. If God goes away, there'll be deadness in our worship services. No joy, no substance, no reality in our worship. God bless Brother the Jackson's memory. He said, the reason there are icicles in the pew, you got a polar bear in the pulpit, he said. Vance Habner said, most Baptist church services start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. I'm saying to you that when God goes away, when God removes his manifested presence, church will become a burden instead of a blessing. And it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be that way. Do you look forward to going to church? Oh, hurry, hurry, we got to be there. No, honey, we get to go to church. <laughs> There'll be deadness in our church services. Share this quickly with you. When I was, Brother Randy mentioned our meter routes, I had a route led me down below Highlands into the beautiful Scaly Mountain community. Some of you know where that's at. Pulled up one, sun- one sunny afternoon, Got out of my truck, classic farmhouse, white farmhouse, a big old porch in the front, several big rockers out front. And one of those rockers was a little country woman sitting there and slowly rocking. I spoke to her and went around, read the meter, and I came back around. I was ahead of schedule, and I thought we'll be good, good customer relations, you know. And so I walked up, and I began to talk to her. She was wearing a little print dress, modest little print dress, she was wearing a pair of those glasses, those horn-rimmed glasses that had the fake diamonds in them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? With a chain that went around her neck. And poor little thing, she's missing one tooth right here. And, but that was not what I, no- I noticed. Just above her eyebrows in her forehead, an open cancer was literally eating the flesh from her body. She didn't tell me about that and say, woe is me. I think she beat me to the dr- She said, young man, are you a Christian? <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am, I am, by the grace of God. We've had fellowship, oh, what blessed fellowship, but here's what I got to. I said, my sister, where do you go to church? She smiled, and that one little tooth missing, and that cancer in her forehead. Her little eyes sparkled. She said, I go to that little independent Baptist church down the road down here. Oh, you ought to come hear our people sing. Oh, they can sing. You ought to hear a little preacher roll up his sleeves and preach. You ought to hear him. And then suddenly the smile faded. And a solemn note came into her eyes and this is what she said to me and Brother Barton, I hope I never forget this. She said, I used to go to that old big church uptown but I couldn't feel nothing up there. Now you, don't cut me off. We're not saved by feelings or emotions. They're wonderful servants but terrible masters. But when God manifests his presence, the people of God will know it. Don't tell me they won't. They will know it. Third thing that'll happen if God goes away, there'll be a destitu- destitution of spiritual growth and evangelism. Saints will spiritually starve, and the lost will remain unsaved. I'm saying to you, and I don't—we're not going to take the time to do it—but if I were to ask those of you young people that are 16 years of old, 16 years of age, or younger, would you stand? We'd have children standing, all people, young people, all over this auditorium, I suppose. And I'd ask those of us that are more advanced and start to say older, but that makes people mad when I say that we're more advanced. I look at these young people. Are they not worth us trafficking in the old-time power of God? Don't they deserve to see something besides a trained polar bear in the pulpit? Don't they deserve to see something but the, besides the status religious quo quo that's never changed anybody? Don't they deserve it? I say they deserve it. Oh, I'm 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 afraid it'd scare them. <laughs> Won't scare them. It'll be the best thing that ever happened to them. Pastor, a dear friend of mine in South Carolina taught third grade for years. She told my wife and I sometime back. She said, I still remember a little girl coming up in church. She said, Oh, and called her name. Wish she'd have been there last night. The power of God fell. Third grade? The power of God fell. I'm simply trying to say, if God goes away, we're some. How can we keep him from going away? Stay true, stay in this book and love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. I'm not putting you under law. I'm just simply telling you. Take your cues from the word of God. I read this and I'm done. Pastor's coming. For a decade after the year 1918, an Italian sculptor named Alcio Dino reproduced numerous pieces of Renaissance sculpture and sold the majority at an average of price of $200 to an art dealer. He claimed, that art dealer did, that he disposed them as, as copies, but they were such clever imita- imitations, this article goes, that the dealer sold the pieces as originals for fabulous sums of money to the world's leading art museums and private collectors. Docina found out what had happened in 1928, and he sued that crooked art dealer for part of the profits. The resultant publicity made Docena and his imitations so famous that, listen... At an auction in New York five years later, the Italian government felt it advisable to give each buyer an official document that guaranteed his purchase to be a genuine fake. I simply said that to say this. If we lose the old time power of God, if we lose the manifested presence of God in our churches, we're nothing but a genuine fake. The old hymn writer said it best. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh I need thee, every hour I need thee. Oh bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. And I say to you this morning, we need the Lord like we never have before. Would you bow your heads with me please? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.
1: Dr. Barton's coming and he's going to,
0: Direct us. Talk to the people of God because I say something to you, sinners, that might be listening. You're lost. You don't know Christ. The same God that can withdraw his presence from the church is the same God, if you toy with and trifle with his grace, he can withdraw himself from you. Know how I pray that that won't happen to you. I pray you'll come to know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You need to come this morning, whatever the need may be. I I don't want to lose the power of God, do you? I I don't want to become some type of of a monument, a mausoleum. I want the power of God on my life. Oh, God, don't go away. Don't withdraw your power. Don't withdraw your blessing.